0: We are back in uh, 1 Samuel again uh, this morning. We'll be in chapter 13. Uh, if you remember, uh, as we've been going through this book, uh, the, the people of God have rejected God as being their king. Instead, they've decided to choose uh, a king uh, for themselves, uh, of their own choosing. Uh, but we saw last week that uh, it's not that, that easy to get rid of, uh, of our God. Uh, He continues to exercise His rule and His reign over His people. And He continues to seek to motivate them the covenant faithfulness and obedience we saw uh, last time through blessings, through curses. But ultimately, the motivation that we should have for following and trusting and walking with our covenant God is in gratitude. Gratitude for His grace and His mercy and the mighty acts and works He's done on our behalf as His people. Uh, but if if you're like me, uh, there's way too much that that gets in the way of that covenant obedience and faithfulness. Uh, and we're going to see uh, this morning that one of the things that uh, that the that chapter thirteen is going to draw our attention to is th- the place that that fear has. <laughs> in being a barrier to our walking faithfully in trust and dependence of our God. Uh, we're going to see that it's, it's both both fear and lack of fear that get in the way. So, if you would, look with me. We're in chapter 13. If you're following along one of the black Bibles there in your seats, uh, this is on page 234. Uh, we're going to look at the whole chapter together this morning. So please follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines at Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, "'Let the Hebrews hear!' And all Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines, and the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel." 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash in the east of beth Aven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some of the Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me, and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the appointed days and that the Philistines had mustered mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the favor of Yahweh. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of Yahweh your God with which He commanded you. For Yahweh would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. Yahweh has sought out a man after his own heart. And Yahweh has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what Yahweh commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about six hundred men. And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people who were present with them stayed in Geba of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. The raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned toward Orpha, uh, the other uh, to the land of Shual, Uh, Another company turned toward Beth Horon, and another company turned uh, toward the border that looks down on the valley of Zeboim, toward the wilderness. Now, there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a sickle for the plowshares and for the mattocks, and a third of a shekel for the sharpening the axes and for setting the goad. So, on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. Let's pray. Our covenant God and King, we thank you that you continue to rule over your people. We thank you that you rule over your word, uh, that it's not myth, it's not fable, it's not the inventions of of men, but it is the very word of God, living and active. Uh, We pray and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do your your work, accomplish your sovereign purposes in the hearts and lives of everyone here, uh, that we might have our hearts turned and hoping only in Jesus, our King. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here, uh, we, we see that, again, the, the focus is brought on uh, the, the disobeying of the commandment of God. Remember what he, uh, God had told the people before, that it was going to be important that that both the people and their King obey and walk with and trust in the commandment that God gives them. But notice, notice here that Saul completely disregards the command of, of God. Uh, look back over in, uh, in chapter 13 there in, uh, in 11. Samuel says, What have you done? And Saul says, when I saw the people were scattering from me and that you didn't come within the days appointed and the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of Yahweh. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said, you've done foolishly. Here's the emphasis on the command. You have not kept the command of Yahweh your God with which He commanded you. For then Yahweh had established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. Yahweh has sought out a man after his own heart, or a man of his own choosing, and Yahweh has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what Yahweh commanded you. Saul has disregarded the command of God. What, what was this specific command? I don't know if you remember back over when Saul was initially called by God uh, over in chapter 10, when he was anointed by Samuel, Samuel told him that he was going to receive three signs to confirm that God had indeed called him to be the the, the king of his people. And after the third sign, Saul was supposed to do something. Look over in chapter 10 if you want to flip over and see uh, what what. Uh, he's referring to. So, in chapter, uh, chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 5, After that you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you'll meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of Yahweh will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds you to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I'm coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. So this is is what God had commanded Saul. You've been anointed and called to be The king of my people, you're to deliver them from their enemies. Saul, remember, in your hometown in Gibeah, there's a garrison of the Philistines. When my spirit comes upon you, these signs are confirmed. You are to do what your hand has you to do, which means he was commanding them to go and attack and provoke the Philistines at Gibeah. Overthrow that garrison. This would have provoked the Philistines into battle. Saul was then to withdraw and go to Gibeah and there, wait. Wait for Samuel to come because then when Samuel arrives, he is going to tell Saul what to do. But notice, we saw back in chapter 10 and we've seen up to this point, Saul's yet to attack the Philistines. He's yet to do anything in his hometown in Gibeah, which God commanded him to do. But it seems like at the beginning of this chapter, things are turning around. Look at, look at verse 1. Saul lived for a year and then became king, and then after he had reigned for two years over Israel, he chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah. That's the same town where the garrison of the Philistines was. It sounds like he's beginning to build up an army. Maybe Saul is finally going to obey the command of the Lord. It tells us the rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. But in verse 3, it tells us Jonathan. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines was at Gebeah, and the Philistines heard of it. It wasn't. It wasn't Saul who attacked the Philistines. After this this defeat, the, just as God had commanded, it begins to fold, unfold. the The Israelites become a stench in the eyes of the Philistines. They muster for battle. Saul announces to everybody, "Ooh, I've defeated the Philistines." Well, he hasn't. Jonathan is the one who did it. And then they go to Gibeah, or they go to Gilgal to wait on Samuel to come. But notice, this is the beginning of his disobeying. Why? Why? Why would he disobey? Remember what God just told him back in chapter 10. Do what your hand finds you to do because I'm going to be with you. God has given him this great promise that I'm present with you, that my spirit is empowering you, and now I'm calling you to obey me and go out trusting and relying in my promises but fear. Fear sets in. Saul, it seems, is afraid to act upon the promises of God. This will come up a lot through through Saul's story. We'll see it recur again, where he holds back and he's afraid to act, even though God has given him these promises. Now, at, at first read, maybe we could understand why? You would be afraid. At the end, it kind of gives us in verses 19 and following kind of the, 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 the military strength of Israel. They have no weapons. The Philistines are dominating them. Uh, they, have, they have no swords. They have no spears. Uh, compared to the, the, the military might they have, the Philistines uh, out, outnumber them. Uh, in, in the words of uh, the song from Alexander Hamilton, they're outgunned, they're outmanned, they're outnumbered, they're outplanned. Well, what are they going to do? George Washington's not going to show up. All you have is Saul, fearful Saul, who's afraid to act according to the promises of God. You see, we don't, We don't have a a George Washington or Alexander Hamilton as right-hand man. We, We have someone greater. Saul, don't you remember? Don't you realize who it is who has said he will be with you? Yet he doesn't act. Fear, the power of the enemy, maybe realizing and recognizing his own weakness and the weakness of those around him, He fails to act in light of the promise of God in the face of these great enemies. Does that scenario sound familiar to you? In light of receiving great promises from God, in light of the apparent strength of the enemy that is against you, in light of the the promises that God has given you as His people, instead of moving out boldly, responding in faith and trust and acting in light of the promises of God, you shy away. You stand back. You perceive yourself to be defeated, to be conquered, and so you don't act. Our, our enemy is not the Philistines, is it? The Scriptures uh, tell us that, that, that our our battles aren't against flesh and blood. There's several places in the New Testament where it comes up, and, and, and kind of a threefold perspective gives us a, and a summary of the, the the conflict that we're in, the enemies that we face: the world, the flesh, and the devil. These enemies, these entities that are. Challenging us to think about the promises that our God has given us. In in 1 John, in in light of the, the promise that God has given us through this, his authorized spokesperson, he says this in John 5 For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The reality is is that Jesus, the true King, has overcome the world. And in light of He is our representative, we too, through our faith in Him, have overcome the world. What a great promise. Yet how often, in the face of the threats of the world, in the face of the danger that we experience from walking and trusting and depending upon our God in the world, do we fail to act according to that promise? And do we live as if the world is the dominant power and not our God? That, that we shy away in the context of in your workplace or in your school, uh, the way that you're living is contrary to the values and the priorities of the world, and instead of believing and knowing that Jesus has overcome the world, we have overcome the world in Him, the threats that is there, the shame, the ridicule, the rejection, the loss of job, we count it all as loss for the sake of Jesus. But instead of boldly in obedience, walking in a life of holiness and godliness in the face of those those threats, those dangers, what appears on the outside to be more powerful than us, we in fear fail to act in light of the promises of God. Or, what about the devil? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that? How many times in fear, do we fail to rest and trust in the promises of God, in His greatness, in His strength, in His might, His privilege on our behalf? And instead, do we buy into the lies and the deceit of the evil one and actually believe we have to obey Him? Jesus has defeated Him, we've been set free. Yet, just like Saul, we can hang back and live as if we're defeated, we're subjected. The same thing goes for the battle against the flesh and your sin. Right now, are you living in a way to where in your mind you keep saying, man, I've been this sin's been with me for so long, I guess this is just the way that I am. There's never going to be any hope for any sort of deliverance, any kind of growth, any, any sort of, of restoration or healing in this context? And so you live defeated. You just give up against this great enemy, failing to remember the promise that Jesus has given us His people. Do you not realize that when Christ died, you died? You died to sin in Him. Sin no longer reigns and no longer has dominion over you. Because Christ Jesus rules. Not only that, He rose from the dead. And His life is at work in you. So no longer submit yourselves to sin. Battle. Fight. Resist. Put it to death. Why? Because you have been put to death already in Christ and you live. What great promises! But we, too often, like Saul in fear, fail to act and respond in light of the great promises. Think about our marching orders as the people of God. Remember, we've been saved from something, our rebellion and our sin. We've been saved to something, a restored relationship with our God. We've been saved for something as well to proclaim His excellencies, to tell the world and the nations of the good news of the gospel. Jesus gives this promise to us as people. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, God's chosen man is ruling and reigning. Go, therefore, in light of the fact that I'm ruling and reigning, baptizing the nations, proclaiming the good news, teaching them all that I've commanded you, for I will be with you. Sound familiar? God has promised to us His people He will be with us. The chosen King rules and reigns eternally. Now is the time for the Gentiles to come into the kingdom. Should we? It's easy for us to look down on Saul and say, well, man... What a coward. What a faithless human being. But how often are you, like me, afraid? Afraid to share the good news because of what my neighbor might think? Or if I might get laughed at at work? Or how awkward it's going to make our next family meal when we gather with everybody because they look at me as this odd Jesus freak kind of follower person and my life is no longer like it used to be. And we shy away afraid we won't have the answers, afraid that uh, the atheist coworker that we have who's studied way more than we have is just going to make me look like an idiot if I try to answer any kind of questions that he has But do you hear what our God is saying to us? I am with you. I'm with you. Might we, might we act in light of the promises of Jesus, our King, and not let fear get in the way of acting in light of those promises? But it's not just fear that gets in the way of our obedience and our covenant faithfulness before our God. It's also a lack of fear. Do you notice here, Saul has a lack of fear when it comes to disobeying the command of God. We already see that he's afraid to go and attack the Philistines, but after Jonathan goes and does what he should have done. The, the, the Philistines gather and are, uh, are provoked. Uh, they do go to Gilgal as commanded, but Samuel doesn't show up on Saul's timetable. He's supposed to wait seven days. Samuel actually does show up on the seventh day, but Saul had waited too long at that time. He decides to take things into his own hands. There's was no concern whatsoever you see his his response his rationale for why he had a reason to disobey this command of God I mean it makes perfect sense doesn't it he says to the people in 9 bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings and he offered the burnt offering as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering behold Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and greet him And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, well, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines are going to come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the favor of Yahweh. So I forced myself and, and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. I mean, it seems like he has all sorts of rational, justified reasons. I mean, look at what's going on. I mean, this is almost comical to, to read how the Israelites are, are, are reacting in the face of the oncoming Philistine army, even though they have the king, the savior, the deliverer they've been asking for right there with them. How do they act and respond? When the men of Israel saw, in verse, this is in verse 6, that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns, and some of the Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Reminds me of one of those scenes in the movies where the the... Something terrible is coming up and everybody's so scared. They're running and bumping into each other. People are diving down into barrels and under chairs because they're so fearful. And that's exactly what the people of Israel doing here. And Saul's looking around and thinking, I have to do something. I can't wait on God anymore. He's not acting as quick as I wanted him to. Doesn't it make sense in this moment that I have a reason why I know God commanded that, that I was supposed to wait, that I was supposed to wait for His command and His instruction, but, but I have a really, really good, valid justification for why it's okay for me to disobey the commandment of God in this moment. They're running away. You took too long, Samuel. I saw them coming. They were going to attack me. We needed to do something. What was I supposed to do? Wait on God? Well, yeah. Yeah. Does it sound familiar? Did you consider the good commands from your gracious and loving covenant God? that He's given you, but there's times in your life when you look at the command that He has given you as His people, as your covenant King, and you have rationalized and I have justified reasons why it is okay for me in this moment to disobey Him, to go against His command. Why shouldn't I be dating that person who's not walking and following and trusting in Jesus? I know that's what God has said, but I've been lonely for so long. And this person's come along and they're really kind. Maybe if I date them for a while, maybe they'll start coming to church. But if I let them go, I'm just going to be alone for the rest of my life. I think God really would want me happy and so I'm going to disobey Him in this moment and pursue after the person I want to go after. I mean, I have a good reason, don't I? Or to to think about it in the the business world. I know God has called me to a life of integrity and honesty. Man, look at the... Look at the way the business operates. This is just the culture and how the industry functions. Deceit and lies are going on all the time. If I hope to make any money at all, if I hope not to be uh, outbid by these other people because I know they're cutting corners, if I don't fudge the numbers here or submit something different there, my family won't eat. I'll lose my job. We'll go under. This is just the way that it operates. And this is what it takes to do business in this industry today. And so, I know God's Word says something else, but it's okay for me right now to disobey Him because we got to put food on the table. Or to to think about your battle with substance abuse. I mean, you've tried what you can, but really, it, it comes down to genetics. It's, it's not really my sin. I mean, if God hadn't made me like this, then I wouldn't be craving this alcohol all the time. And so in, instead of, uh, of, of addressing and dealing with the sin that's in my own heart, I spend all my excuses and my justification on the genetics that I've inherited from someone else and this is just the way that I am. There's nothing I can do about it. We continue to struggle and be defeated. Or maybe it shows up in bitterness and unforgiveness. I know Jesus has called me to forgive because He's forgiven me, but... You don't know what they've done. You don't know what they've said. You don't know how many times they have spoken to me and lied and stabbed me in the back and betrayed me. I I can't do it. I know God calls me to, but in this moment, no. Maybe if He changes my heart, I'll do it, but I'm not going to actively work against it. Or maybe you begin to think and go down the path of considering leaving your spouse. You know that the Scriptures say there's only a a few reasons in in Scripture that would be permissible for there to be a a divorce to occur, adultery or abandonment by an unbeliever, some gross, heinous violation of the marriage covenant, like physical abuse but you just can't put up with it anymore. You've grown apart, especially after the kids have gotten grown out of the house. Arguments are becoming too, too frequent. I don't think God would want me to be happy. And so uh, I'm, I'm going to continue to pursue down this path of separation and divorce. Even though God has called me and told me to pursue reconciliation and to remain faithful, I have a reason to disobey in this moment and in this time. We're not that much different from Saul, are we? Whether it's fear or whether it's a lack of fear. Fear to act on the promises of God or a lack of fear in acting against the commands of God. We struggle to follow, trust, and walk with Him. Wow. Why would he put up with people like Israel, with, a, with somebody like me, with somebody like you? Because you see in here, even in the midst of all of this that's going on, it's not just Saul, the people are afraid too, even though God is with them. But we see he's continued to be faithful to his promises and he promises them, I'm not abandoning you. In fact, I'm beginning a work to show you even more how committed I am to pursuing you, my people. In here, we see that Saul is, is rejected. This is going to come up several times over the next several chapters, but notice what Samuel says here as he delivers this word from God in verse 13 Samuel said to Saul you have done foolishly you've not kept the command of Yahweh your God with which he commanded you for then Yahweh would have established your kingdom over Israel forever but now your kingdom shall not continue here we see God acting and working to take away the false savior and hope that the people are clinging to but notice what he's doing in exchange. But uh, Yahweh has sought out a man after his own heart. The people sought out a king after their own heart, their own choosing. Here, God says, I have sought out one of my own choosing. And Yahweh has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what Yahweh commanded. God's not done He's he's already commanding and calling a king of his own choosing to come, to work, to deliver, to enter into the midst of this struggling, unbelieving people. Why? We were reading uh, as a family in our time of family worship one night this week. We're working through this story Bible and we're in the the section where it's covering all the kings of of Israel and Judah. It's a whole mess of unbelief and unfaithfulness, and then at times you have a faithful king. But one of the most wicked kings that comes up during this period of Israel's history is Ahab. He's a horrible, horrible, wicked, unfaithful king. And God promises that He is going to judge Ahab and his kingdom. But in the midst of that, after God gives this judgment to Ahab, Ahab puts on sackcloth and ashes, and he repents. And he asks God to to relent on this punishment. And God's response is this from the prophet. He says, because Ahab has responded in this way, I'll relent. And the judgment won't come during his time, but it will come during the reign of his son. And Greta immediately goes, I knew he was going to do that. (laughs) God is always doing that. As soon as his people forgive, he shows them mercy and he forgives them. Did you know he was going to do this? Did you know that he's going to say, in the midst of your rebellion, Israel, I'm going to send another? You see, this man of God's own choosing, later we're going to realize that is a man named David. But David's not that great of a deliverer and a redeemer either. You see, it's going to be the great, 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 great grandson who would come. The true man of God's own choosing. God Himself, who would take on flesh and enter into our world You thought the promise to Saul was significant that I will be with you? Man, how did that come to fruition? That God would take on flesh and enter into His world to be with His creatures, to redeem and save and deliver them. You see, in, in, in light of our, our fear to trust and rest in the promises of God, God sent one who would actually fulfill those promises on the behalf of a sinful and unfaithful people. For those who, who have no fear in discounting His commands, we have one who entered in and lived as the perfect, true, faithful man who always at every turn and in every way obeyed perfectly the commandments of his God and his Father. This is the Savior we need. This is the only hope we have. And when we look to and call out to our God in belief, in repentance, God responds both to our fear... And our lack of fear with grace and mercy and provision of the Savior and Deliverer of His own choosing. I knew. I just knew He would do that. Would you today, if you're a believer, in the midst of your sin and your struggle, your continued resistance, your fear or your lack of fear, look and hope and rest in the man of God's own choosing who is given for you. If you wouldn't consider yourself or call yourself a follower of Jesus, hear this good news that Jesus calls all who would turn from their sin and look and hope in Him that forgiveness and deliverance And rescue can be extended to you. It doesn't matter what's part of your story in the past. It doesn't matter what's going on now. It also doesn't matter what's going to happen in the future. Because we're looking and hoping and trusting in the faithful one. Who has saved and delivered his people for all time. Let's turn our hearts and our hope in Him. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy to us. Jesus, we thank You uh, that You are the perfect and faithful One of God's own choosing. The man after God's own heart. Uh, We pray that You would turn our hearts to You. uh, That we would realize and hope and trust in You in the midst of all that we face, that we would see You are sufficient. You are the victorious One. And that our only hope is in You. In Christ's name, Amen.